This is Francis Wessel welcoming you to Cornerstone Global Grace Ministries podcast. Last week, we started a series titled Open Doors, and we started talking about some areas we might have accessible to the devil to cause trouble in our lives. These areas are open doors, might be what is keeping us from completely quitting smoking, keeping us awake at night with stress or night terrors, or can be the reason why every relationship some people have ends badly. We discussed last week that the devil brings pain into our lives because he is a thief that lies, steals, and destroys. But Jesus came to give us an abundant life. So if you are ready to learn about spiritual doors, I recommend you that you take something to write with and get ready to take notes. I will also get a Bible or your phone because there is something about reading the Bible and not only listening to someone read it to you. Before we start talking about closing doors, we need to speak about what gives us the authority to close those doors. And that is our relationship with Christ. In fact, I do not believe that someone without a relationship with Christ can close doors to the enemy. So our first step to freedom is our salvation. Every believer who has given his or her life to Christ has authority over the devil. Go with me to Matthew 10, 1. It tells us, Jesus called his 12 disciples to him and gave them authority to drive out impure spirits and to heal every disease and sickness. Also go with me to Matthew 28, 18 and 19. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. So if you are a follower of Jesus, you are his disciple and therefore you have authority over any scheme of the devil. With that said, let's start talking about the door of sin. To talk about sin makes some people feel uncomfortable and others feel guilty. But what I discovered recently is that most people do not even know what sin is. I asked a group of people their definition of sin and besides the one person that told me that everything he does is sin, the rest of them just looked around waiting for someone to say something. The dictionary defines sin as an immoral act considered to be a transgression against the divine law. But the problem with that definition is that what I consider immoral might not be what the next person considers immoral. Besides, who establishes what is divine law? Therefore, the definition I'll use for sin is the Bible's definition. Go to James chapter 1. We'll read verses 13 through 15, which reads, When tempted, no one shall say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then, after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. James chapter 4 verse 17, the ESV version says, So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. In other words, every time that we fall into temptation or every time that we go against our conscience, we sin. Someone asked me once, why is sin so wrong if it feels so good? I told him that the problem with sin is not how we feel when we sin. The problem is that every sin has consequences. The Bible tells us that the wages of sin is death. That is why God does not want us to sin. 
Many unbelievers see God as someone who selfishly doesn't want people to have fun and therefore gives us many unrealistic rules and demands. And it is waiting for us to break those rules to punish us. But nothing could be further than the truth. The reason why God doesn't want us to sin is because he loves us and knows that every time we go against these rules, we get devastating consequences. By the way, the consequences of our sins are not God's punishment. They are the result of a natural law, like the law of gravity or the law of motion. The punishment for our sin will be hell. Now, once we come to Christ, our sins are forgiven and we no longer are slaves to sin. In other words, before we knew Christ, our flesh guided us and we did whatever our flesh wanted. But now that we are in Christ, we submit our flesh to our spirit and we are able to stay away from sin. Because we belong to Christ, we now are in covenant with God. We are his people and he is our God. Therefore, we can appropriate the abundant life Jesus came to give us. The issue with that is that sometimes we forget what it means to be in covenant with God. Go with me, please, to Genesis 17, 8 and 9. And I know that I'm reading a lot of scripture, but like I told you last week, I want to put a good biblical foundation in everything I'm teaching. So Genesis 17, 8, 9 reads, I will give you and your descendants the land in which you are immigrants, the whole land of Canaan as an enduring possession, and I will be their God. God said to Abraham, as for you, you must keep my commandment, you and your descendants in every generation. As you know, the people of Israel were the people that God chose as his. He made a covenant with Abraham and promised him that as long as they kept his commandments, he was going to be their God. In other words, they will be under his protection. People of God, we know that the God we serve is faithful. He does not lie. He keeps his promises. But at the same time, he also is just and expects us to keep our part of the covenant. As we know, every time Israel did not keep God's commandments, they suffer. Let's go to 1 Kings chapter 6, verses 11 through 13. The word of the Lord came to Solomon. As for this temple you are building, if you follow my decrees, observe my laws and keep all my commandments and obey them, I will fulfill through you the promise I gave to David your father, and I will live among the Israelites and will not abandon my people Israel. Many years after the children of Israel got to their promised land, Solomon built God's temple, and after he dedicated the temple, the Lord established the covenant that he made with Abraham with King Solomon. I want you to notice something. The blessing of God for his people was not unconditional. His blessings for them depended on their obedience to him. After the death and the resurrection of Jesus, we, the people who were not part of the covenant of Abraham, were blessed to enter into a new covenant with God. Now the church of Jesus Christ is God's people. Now Gentiles and Jews are the family of God. And even though we no longer live under the law of Moses like the Israelites did, for we now live under grace, that does not mean that we cannot break our covenant with God. Second Corinthians 6 verse 16 through 18 says, What agreement is there between the temple of God and idols? For we are the temple of the living God. As God said, I will live with them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they will be my people. Therefore, come out of them and be separate, says the Lord. Touch no unclean thing, and I will receive you, and I will be a father to you, and you will be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. 
Second Corinthians 7.1 says, Therefore, since we have these promises, dear friends, let us purify ourselves from everything that contaminates body and spirit, perfecting holiness out of reverence for God. See, in the past, Solomon had to build a temple made out of wood and gold for the presence of God to dwell that. But now we are the temple of God's Spirit, and as such, God expects us to live in holiness. He still expects us to separate ourselves from the ways of the world and live according to the Bible. When we don't, we sin. And even though we live under grace, we still have to pay the consequences of our sin. When we, the children of God, live in sin, we open a door of our life that the devil can go through to bring us pain. Think about it. Since we are God's people, the devil has no right to harm us, but he does. I know we live in a broken world, and it is impossible for problems not to come. But do you know people that go from one issue to another? Sadly, I do. I know a family who goes to church, but has many of its members either in jail or in trouble with the law. Some can't keep a job, and some have not spoken with other members of the family for years over silly things. I also know a family who has unwed mothers in every single generation. That child of God is not the life that God wants for us. A few years ago, I worked for a church in which almost every young couple that came to me for counseling was not married. I remember the first time that I asked a young couple why they were living together if they were not married. And they looked at me as if I was speaking a language they could not understand. At first, I thought that my Spanish accent was the problem. But as I got to know them, I found out that no one had ever told them that they were living in sin because all their friends were doing the same thing and all their friends were Christians. Now, please don't think that because I'm talking about unmarried couples that live together, I judge them or don't like them. I am just giving you an example of a sin that might allow Satan to come into your life and create chaos. Some of us live like the world, but we are hoping that God will bless our messy lives. But children of God, God is a God of order. He does not bless sin. Let me illustrate what I'm talking about with a story. After I graduated Bible school, I started a Spanish church in Southern California. Most people in my congregation were immigrants. They were wonderful people, but most of them came from low-income families, and most of them were uneducated. One Sunday, I was teaching my congregation on the blessings of tithing. And at the end of the service, a visitor asked me to pray for him because he was unemployed, which I did. He thanked me for the teaching and told me that that day he had decided to give the Lord his tithe once he started working. The next day, he came to the church and asked to speak with me and gave me a bag with $76 and some change. He told me he was bringing his tithes for me to bless them. I told him how happy I was that God had answered our prayers so soon and what a miracle it was for him to find a job so quickly. He proceeded to tell me that he had not found a job, that he had robbed a 7-Eleven, and that he wanted God to bless the fruit of his labor. Obviously, I had my work cut out for me with this brand new Christian, but I am happy to report that eventually he changed his ways. But I'm telling you this story because some of us might not be robbing people asking God to bless our labor, but we are living in sin expecting God to bless our lives. We do not keep our side of the covenant, but we expect God to keep His. People of God, many of us can pray and pray for God to deliver us from different problems, and those problems will only grow. It is not that God does not hear our prayers. Sometimes all we need to do is close the door of sin. How do we do that? We do it by repenting of our sin. 
Once we do that, we can take authority over the devil if the devil tries to assault our lives. My friends, please remember that sin is sin. There is no small sin or a big sin. Sin is sin. Sometimes we run away from sexual sins, but allow anger, pride, or unforgiveness to rule our lives. We live in a world that has no moral compass. We now call what's evil good and what is good evil. I do not remember when was the last time I heard a pastor talking to his congregation about holiness. But my dear friends, the Bible doesn't change because we do. What was sin a thousand years ago is still sin now. In the eyes of God, sin is sin. And that sin is still attracting the same consequences it was attracting a thousand years ago. We cannot keep the devil out of our lives if we have a door wide open to him by living in sin. Please, if there's sin in your life, repent and ask God for forgiveness. But before you do that, please know that repentance is not feeling bad about our sin and going back to that sin. To repent means to understand that we have broken the law of God. This knowledge takes us to confess our sins and to ask him to help us to put an end to it. It means running away from that which is wrong and never coming back to that again. By doing that, you are closing the door of sin in your life to the devil. Once you do that, I guarantee you that the Holy Spirit will help you stay away from that sin and you can claim God's blessing over that area that was broken in your life. Child of God, to be a Christian and live in sin is like walking in the middle of the road and you do not enjoy life living like that. You do not sin freely because you live in guilt and you do not enjoy the benefits of a blessed life in Christ because you are sinning. Eventually, everyone who walks in the middle of the road ends as roadkill. If you are ready to close the door to sin in your life, please pray this prayer with me. Father God, I thank you for your love and mercy. I acknowledge today that I have sinned against you. I confess to you my sin, and with all my heart, I repent from it. I thank you, Jesus, for dying for me, and I claim forgiveness through your blood. Thank you, Father, for forgiving my sin. Now, Satan, I close the door of my life that my sin had opened. You no longer have access to my life, for the blood of Jesus covers my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Child of God, when we know that something is wrong and we do it, we are sinning. So let us pray for one another for God to keep us away from temptation. Thank you for allowing me to share God's word with you. If this podcast has blessed you, please help us by promoting it with your friends and loved ones. If you would like to know more about our ministry, please visit our website at globalgraceministries.com. May God bless you and keep you.